Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is Horch. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. They're long and prosperous. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. She is one-third of the Red Shirts Podcast, and if you're not careful, she might end up fancying you, especially if your eyebrow game is on fleek. It's Maddie Churchhouse! Yeah! one. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me on the show. It's fabulous to be here. After months of interacting on Instagram, it's great yes. to put a name to a face, to a <laughs> Instagram logo. Yeah. Uh, for the listeners, these things don't just happen. It takes planning, lots and lots of planning, usually over social media. <laughs> but you guys have, uh, you guys are definitely one of my main sources for really funny star trek memes you guys are awesome oh thank you that's really touching <laughs> like i will let you in on a secret that 90 percent of my memes are stolen from tumblr i do always credit the sources <laughs> however recently i have dabbled a little bit in uh, the making of my own memes so uh if you want some shitty borg memes head over to at red shirts cast and i have a few <laughs> that's wonderful yeah it's i've it is it is becoming an art form, like a really oh, well-structured yeah. meme is becoming its own art form for sure. <laughs> there is a specific, I would say, subculture of the Star Trek fandom that is just leftist Instagram accounts that make Star Trek and specifically Deep Space Nine memes. Yeah, like yeah. Very, very specifically targeted queer leftist DS9 memes. There is millions of them. Like if a that's lot. the sh- that you want yeah sorry can i swear on this podcast you absolutely can i oh, um, good. Fuck. because I, i'm gonna say it a lot well here's <laughs> so i get it out of the way <laughs> I, I i forgot to mention this before we uh kicked everything off but i i i do i do bleep swearing but not because i'm a not because i'm opposed to swearing i want the show to be as accessible as possible so when i bleep it i use the red alert siren just because i think it's funny so. Okay, so you don't bleep swearing because you're an asshole. Correct. <laughs> right, I will refrain from now yeah. on. Well, as it's... little as little bleeping as possible. <laughs> I, it's, I dropped I dropped the f bomb when I was uh, when I was on with with Jake, and uh, yeah. So it's this is supposed to be just free, and you know, do do your own thing. Maybe your episode uh, might get an unrated cut, a longer a longer <laughs> unrated cut. <laughs> I've done that before, (laughs) but uh, so we spoke last week with Jake and about how you all kind of came together and uh, how, you know, when the pandemic started, you know, who, who had the initial idea, who said, I know Star Trek podcast, who, who was, well, it was, it was actually Jake. Was so it? Okay. we had we had all vaguely met each other via stand up comedy, and then I'd known that Nathan was a Star Trek fan because he did a joke about 
same, doing some poetry in Klingon in his stand-up set. So I, that's hilarious. Started, as he tells it, I immediately added him on Facebook and started spamming him with Spot Kirk fan fiction. Yes. <laughs> so Jake then somehow, I don't know how, Jake realized that we both like Star Trek. I think because I had something in my set about the fact that um, I had, like, I couldn't be with Mr. Spock because he doesn't exist or something like that. So then he said, oh, you know, we're in a lockdown. How would you guys like to make a Star Trek podcast? And I said, sure, thinking obviously that's never actually going to happen. And then within a week, we had, like, recorded four episodes and was planning releasing them. And I was like, oh, well, guess I better strap in. It's happening now. We're off and running now. Yeah, I'll I'll never forget. uh, I'll never forget having the discussion with my wife about, hey, babe, I'm, you know, thinking about starting a Star Trek podcast. Really? Well, uh, <laughs> I know there's the original series and Next Generation. So uh, how long do you think you'll be doing this? I was like, well, I've run the numbers and uh, doing it week to week. I should be busy for roughly the next 14 to 15 years. <laughs> I think that's like the 2020 version of being like, hey, babe, I'm thinking of taking up door to door sales. I'm like, no, no. Hey, babe, I'm thinking of joining this multi-level marketing scheme. Ah! Oh, God. (laughs) Hey, babe, I'm thinking of joining a podcast. All right. Yeah, here's the divorce papers. (laughs) Oh, God. You get the... you, You... you get the car. I'll take the dog in the house. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> and my podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, luckily, um, you know, I had, I had a good su- support system. I'll call them of uh, my friends who were on uh cinema shock podcast. So I had been Fuck working yes. with them for a couple of, uh, for a couple of years before I got my own equipment and, you know, started my own thing. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun so far. And I mean, even in just, and again, I said it in the intro, we're working through this thing chronologically, which a couple of my friends who are Star Trek fans were like, so you get Enterprise out of the way first. And I was like, right. a little bit, a little bit. (laughs) I am torn in my thinking of whether you are either performing a public service for the rest of the Star Trek fandom for which, which we do not deserve or whether you're just absolutely batshit insane. And I can't figure which of the two it is. You do you, do you realize that you, what you actually have a forehead of you now is two entire years of enterprise. That's oh, it. Yeah, yeah, are you looking yeah. forward to seeing trip Tucker's face right into 2024? <laughs> it's uh, you know, I think I, here's the thing. I think my, uh, my dislike, my uh, my negative thoughts and feelings towards Trip Tucker, and to be honest, Captain Archer. You have negative thoughts and feelings towards Trip Tucker. Uh, just be well. Here's the thing. I actually we're gonna fight this out right now. <laughs> here's the thing. Forget here's... this episode. I want to know what your problem is. Okay, with here's... George Bush Jr. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. I do like his. He's he's very much. He's very much the Bones McCoy of engineers. Like it would not surprise me if he had one of those classic red toolboxes with a ball peen hammer and a big roll of duct tape of like, okay, give me 20 minutes. I'll Mm -hmm. fix it. That I, that I dig, but it's the Southern charm of like, Hey, I'd that, that part just is nails on a chalkboard for me. And to be honest, my thoughts about Archer are more like, I think I'm more upset with Starfleet for making him a captain. <laughs> oh, no. I've actually, I actually talked about this uh, back in season one of our show. I said, to be honest, this enterprise suffers from 
some structure issues. I think in terms of conveying in conveying the story, I think it would have been a better move to have Archer as the helmsman and Admiral Forrest as the captain and somewhere dealing with the Suliban or the temporal cold war uh, Forrest dies. And now Archer has to become the captain. And then we bring in, because I love Travis. I love Travis Mayweather. He is my dude. Like, sorry, who? Travis Mayweather, the uh, the helmsman. The Sorry, that was sarcasm. Oh, okay. He basically <laughs> so- does f- cool for most of the show. Yeah. here And here's why. Here's why. It's one thing. He manually pilots the NX-01 out of a minefield. That's skill. So when I'm, so when it's like, oh, who's your captain? Who do you think is the best doctor? Whatever, blah, blah, blah. Those, all of those things can change. But helmsman, Travis Mayweather, stop. Like, we like to see some respect from Travis because I just feel like one of the issues is that every single Enterprise episode I've ever seen, Travis might as well be a bloody lampshade. He doesn't do anything. They don't they, give him anything to do. Yeah, they don't use him. It's they don't use him as well as they could. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah. and I've said this numerous times, and I'm I have a feeling you'll probably agree. It's because this show came out after the trend of episodic television but before mm-hmm. the trend of serial it, it fell right in this gap where yeah. it wasn't one or the other so yeah. then it was neither but it was also both oh god <laughs> yeah and of course and of course premiering like two weeks after 9-11 like less than two weeks after 9-11 like I, I i think there was a good part of at least here in the states people like we need some hope we need something Star Trek. Okay. And so they leaned hard on this thing so much. It was so much that it ended up crumbling under its own weight. Yeah. I'm going to say like, really, if, if hope is what you were looking for after 9-11, then like Star Trek Enterprise is not the place I would go for it. I feel we, we talk about the impact of 9-11 on Enterprise quite a lot on our podcast, because to me, it's the most gloomy, militaristic, and I would say kind of from an from an international relations standpoint it's the most kind of depressing and quote realist unquote attitude towards political relations i think of any star trek show and yeah. i think generally speaking star trek does tend to have this much more liberal outlook in terms of Absolutely. those kind of political relationships and enterprise really doesn't hit that spot for me it feels like they try to do something different they try to do something a bit more serious and then they actually kind of missed something of what makes star trek so joyful to people in the first place yeah it doesn't help that everything's bloody gray all the time it's like gray (laughs) uniform gray ship gray jacket to poles wearing a gray sweater oh (laughs) yeah i think the uh Part of me, you know, because I'm a next gen kid, so raised on Picard and the and the 1701D, which looked like this sort of 80s, 90s leather and wood wood paneling, everything. The ship looked like the coolest living room ever. Yes. But the NX01 is very much, very much function over fashion. It's still basically it's still basically a submarine, which a lot of that is exactly how it feels. It feels like a nuclear submarine, but unfortunately with the characteristics of a nuclear submarine, that F all happens and that you're just sat there waiting (laughs) things to bump into you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm surprised that every 
may and maybe this is Hoshi's role, but they should have just given her a headset so that every now and then she could take off the headset, look at Archer and just <laughs> and just shake her head like, no, we we lost them. No, can't find them. I don't know. Like that would have been great if there was no view screen. Just <laughs> maybe if it was just a really thick window. It's like, yeah. And let Archer like go up and press his <laughs> press his face against like uh starboard. How about port? Can we see anything? It no? should be like the ISS. They've just got one copula window and they have That's to fight it. over it. And Trip's like, it's my turn today. Look and, out the window. In the meantime, <laughs> like the duct tape, just all right, work four, <laughs> hit it, guys. <laughs> so, so what was your and I believe, you know, in reading uh and following along the episodes that I have listened to, if you guys have listened to a, at least a handful of them, that you your first your first Star Trek experience, if I'm not mistaken, was the JJ Abrams film. Is that right? It was. So apart from some like Star Trek, Star Wars, Harry Potter, Doctor Who crossover fan fiction that I wrote Mm -hmm. when I was nine, in which I was Princess Leia and I was being babysat by Mr. Spock. And we ended up going up through a wormhole onto a space station where we got attacked by Lord Voldemort and a fleet of 10,000 Daleks. Anyway, apart so apart from that, my (laughs) my I'm in. You've got my money. <laughs> it's my magnum opus. I still have not written anything better than that to this day. And I was absolutely raging when my teacher only gave me one house point for it. I was like, one? One house point for this? This could be episode nine. <laughs> anyway, so that was like, so I had like a vague idea of the characters of the original series, but my first entry to it was with the, the Star Trek, like the 2009-8 film. And I just remember the first time seeing one of those movie posters and being like, oh, And it was just a time in my life where I'd finally discovered the ability to watch media. And that sounds like a strange thing to say, but I come from a house where for a long time, A, we didn't have a television and B, when we did, we weren't allowed to watch American cartoons because America equals capitalism. Also Satan. I don't know. It might like... (laughs) (laughs) You're not far off. Disney Channel might have poisoned my mind and made me obsessed with wanting to buy burgers. I I, I don't know. There's some logic. So, yeah. So being like, oh my god, I can go to the cinema. I can, I can use pocket money to go to the cinema. So yeah, going to see Star Trek two thousand and nine absolutely blew my mind. Like I cannot even tell you how. Like yeah, it was a game changer for me. It completely changed my relationship with sci-fi. I think it was one of, apart from I was already a massive Star Wars fan, obviously, but yeah. it was like one of the first like sci-fi films I'd seen in the cinema. Um, yeah, so I fell completely headlong into that. And it actually wasn't until I was an adult that I then, um, although I'd gone back as a kid and watched TOS, I didn't get it at the time because, to be fair, if you watch it when you're little, it's boring. (laughs) It's very slow. And I was (laughs) off the high of like everyone running around and like, lens flare, lens flare, lens flare. And then being like, what do you mean (laughs) I just have to watch Captain Kirk being like, beep, computer, beep. Um, (laughs) Yeah, 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 you're not wrong. So then I went back as an adult and watched it and completely fell in love with the original series as well. And then because Discovery was coming out, I kind of then jumped on board with that. So I actually hadn't seen any middle-aged Trek, as I call it, like TNG, DS9, Voyager, whatever, right up until we started the podcast, to be honest. Wonderful. So I'd like seen pretty much all of TOS, all of Discovery, loved the films, never seen anything in the middle at all. I, uh, gosh, I, I really wish I'd gotten a chance to, uh, 
hop on with you guys at roughly the same time because I would have loved to discuss. I I, I really I really enjoy the JJ Abrams the JJ Abrams uh, films um, the JJ verse the Kelvin timeline. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy the Kelvin timeline. Whatever you call it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, I think with 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 the with one misstep, and that was in this in the second one into darkness. I would have approached the idea of Khan a little bit differently. Um, no, surely not. There wasn't anything wrong with having Bendigo. <laughs> what, what could you possibly be insinuating? I can't see any problems here. The very yeah, upstanding I, British gentleman to play Khan. I love, love, love me some Benny, man. He's he's awesome. I love that guy. Um, you know, he's he's knocked it out of the park with at least from you know my perspective here in the states. He he's knocked it out of the park with Sherlock and of course Doctor Strange and. Quite a few, quite a few other things. Uh, I really enjoyed his work, and um, you know, seeing him as Khan, I was, you know, I think he has that. Whereas um, Ricardo Montalban was very, was very overly dramatic. Very, yeah. I mean, that early Star Trek stuff was just above filming a stage play. Oh yeah. Whereas Benedict Cumberbatch can just lean in a little bit closer to the microphone. <laughs> Your crew requires oxygen to survive. Mine does not. I will target your life support systems located behind the aft nacelle. And after every single person aboard your ship suffocates, I will walk over your cold corpses to recover my people. Now, shall we begin? And it was just like, oh. Dislocate his jaw when he says it as well. Your cold corpses. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He was a fantastic villain who just wasn't Khan. That was... Yeah. Yeah. Lots My, of issues with Into Darkness. Love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. But what I, were they thinking? <laughs> it's I've I've said this. I think I've said this before, so I'll probably end up editing this out, you know, just so I'm, you know, on not on my yeah. soapbox. But uh the thing that I would have done differently with Into Darkness is, you know, because the last that we see of um, well, when we see everything, it's just kind of like, oh, it's John Harrison, it's John Harrison, this blah 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 blah. So when Kirk rounds the corner and sees him and and then there's the big hole, my name is Khan. Like he doesn't know who Khan is. Like yeah. Kirk has no idea. So the gravitas there is gone. Like there's, yeah. there's nothing there. However, what would have been cool is if you remember in the first one, when he's a little kid driving his dad's vet. Yeah. He passes his brother who's also run away from home. Yeah, who basically gets cut out of the first film. But right. that's another issue. Right, yes. I would have had it when he... So when they start showing him the footage of Harrison... Yeah. Have his face obscured so that he can't see him. But they know him as this terrorist con yeah. union saint. Okay, great. So when he rounds that corner in the brig on the Enterprise and comes face to face with him, it's not con. He goes, Tommy? And it's... You realize that when Kirk ended up joining... Uh, Starfleet. Tommy also joined Starfleet, but he went into Section Thirty-One and became and became Khan. Right. Oh my God, you are going to love talking to Nathan because he <laughs> also has these amazing ideas of how to fix Star Trek, and that's a fantastic idea. Yeah. Like you guys need to team up, go back I... in time, shoot Rick Berman in the face, <laughs> and rewrite Star Trek for him. We'll get on it. We'll make it happen. Well, I mentioned to Jake that uh, one of the other guests that's come on the show had an idea for what he calls Star Trek Echo. And it's, well, you might not be familiar with this character. She's in uh, Star Trek Voyager, but there's Mm -hmm. a child. There's a child born on Voyager, 
you know, during the whole show. Yeah. And, and so she's known nothing else but to be raised on this, yeah. on this ship. And uh, her name is Naomi Wildman. And she's got yeah. a cute little girl. She's got some spikes coming out of the middle of her forehead. It's a really fun character. She's a really fun character. Oh, cute. But yeah. um, he's he's written some fiction that would actually put Naomi Wildman on the USS Echo yeah. uh, with a couple of characters that w- would actually end up overlapping a little bit with Lower Decks, with the cartoon Lower Decks. Mm. So he started, he started writing his own fiction. And um, when he came on the show, I said, well, you know, we're, we're, we've pulled, we've pulled the script for um, Decker, uh, who another story guy on enterprise, he's a horror movie guy. And uh, he actually did a script for Johnny quest back in the day. So we actually pulled this. We actually deep dived and found the, found the script. And Oh, wow. I printed out a scene and the wife and I read it. And so we're, we're, planning to do it as sort of a radio play as just kind of like oh here's this little oh, snippet sick. From... that's awesome but that leads us to like hey you're star trek fan fiction like my buddies we could do it as an audio play oh and yeah we can put we can drop in some music we can drop in some sound effects yeah and... music sound effects that's gonna be perfect when i sure. submit my extremely pornographic erotic kirk Strock <laughs> fan fiction to radio play submissions i just have to find some some wet smacking noises is that, is that... <laughs> okay so we've diverted a little bit here but let's let's get back to enterprise what was your um so you, you so you've only sort of scratched the surface is what i'm gathering you've only kind of watched a little bit of enterprise fair to say i would say that i've had a narrow but deep experience of enterprise okay <laughs> by which i mean that we watched like two episodes of it and <laughs> okay. i then went and found an old live journal of trip and to pole that lists every single romantic interaction they have over the course of four series and then i spent an entire sunday afternoon watching every single one of those scenes and like desperately skipping through episodes being like ah, plot don't care plot don't care don't care where's the sexy scene where's the sexy scene <laughs> and see almost everyone else i've had on the show so far is just like god how many times are they going to lube each other up with this blue gel while i don't think while you're fighting not. and we're just you know <laughs> but you're just like hey can we get any more scenes with the blue gel? Can we? Can we... Oh yeah, the blue <laughs> gel is obviously an amazing invention. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, uh, you know, in watching this, this is kind of uh, this is sort of like a little bit of a spy thriller type thing. Mm, yeah. What's Do you are you are you into that genre of storytelling? Do you have any Do you have any favorites? I mean specifically in the seventh? Yes. Well, I mean, like outside of Star Trek, are there any like spy thrillers that you're into? Yeah, definitely. I do love me some spy thrillers. Like, I mean, generally speaking, I'd say I like my stories to have an element of sci-fi or fantasy in them. So sure. whatever genre it is, if it's got a little bit of something in it, I will tend to love it. So I'm not one of those people that like obsessively watches spy movies. Um, if anything, I actually really love spy comedies. I would say I almost am more into like comedy thrillers than I am nice. into like straight kind of spy thrillers. But yeah, oh. who doesn't enjoy a good kind of like tense situation with drama and espionage? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I really kind of, because I mean, so far in this series, Enterprise, we've seen Hall, uh, Hall. we've seen T'Pol yeah. uh, dismissed, um, treated horribly. 
Yeah. She got she got raped one time so far. Sorry, what? Yeah. Oh, it's not a bike. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. So she's she's been getting the short shaft uh, as far as her treatment on Enterprise thus far, and but this is the first time where you know it kind of comes to light of like, oh, by the way, I used to be a spy, <laughs> like used to go and take dudes out. Like, what? Really? Okay. And then, but then she comes with like this thing of like, hey, I just got word from uh, from the Vulcan High Council. There's one guy I missed. Let's go get him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> All right. So uh, with that being said, let's get into this week's recap. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. UPN Wednesday, a classified mission. I'd like you to come with me. The hunt for a Vulcan fugitive reveals a shocking secret from the past. I may have killed an innocent man. The truth could send T'Pol over the edge. He didn't deserve to be killed. I said stop talking! T'Pol! Paul receives a covert mission from the Vulcans. Should you choose to accept it. And remains tight-lipped about it, despite Archer's inquiries. Later, she asks that he come, stating she needs someone she can trust. So Paul confides in Archer that she was trained in reconnaissance retrieval, and now she is to capture the only rogue Vulcan secret agent to have evaded her. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. Archer, T'Pol, and Travis easily track the fugitive, Minos, to a cantina on the icy moon that is definitely not Hoth. Uh, there was a firefight! They capture him, but Minos starts to play on T'Pol's sense of fairness and honor. He has a good life, a family, a job, but apparently he's dying. T'Pol, trying to disprove his story, searches for biotoxins in Minos's ship, finding none. <laughs> T'Pol also relates to Archer that she's been having recent flashbacks to her previous hunt, where she shot another fugitive. Because of their beliefs on the emotional ramifications of killing, the Vulcans had T'Pol's memory and emotions of the incident purged on Pajem. Remember the church planet from season one, episode 15, that they blew a hole in? <laughs> Back on the planet, Minos organizes an escape by starting a fire, but is recaptured by the away team when his cloaked hiding place is detected, confirming that he was indeed smuggling biotoxins, as the Vulcan High Command had indicated. On Enterprise, T'Pol offers her support to Archer, should he ever be in need of it. I don't care! So, we get this story that this scientist, who we've been very dismissive of, is actually a badass. Do you think this was kind of a scramble? Like after a couple of people of like, hey, are we going to start like treating people with respect? <laughs> hey, is this show like deeply misogynistic? I don't know, Rick, Rick what do you think? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I really like T'Pol as a character. I think she's really fascinating. And I love how she's constantly looks like she's on the brink of a Vulcan emotional breakdown. Mm. Um, so I wasn't surprised by this i guess i i, I just it, even when you said oh she's a spy i was like i hadn't even thought of that to be honest but it's always kind of been obvious to me from watching the enterprise pilot mm -hmm. it was very much the case of here is an extremely overqualified woman who's being put down by two men who don't have any idea what quite literally don't have any idea what the f 
fucking doing. They've never been they've never been to bloody space before. This is like a cat telling a human what to do and thinking right. that they're really clever about it. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, she's probably like twice as old as both of them put together and yeah. it's been all over the galaxy, you know, who knows what probably is about five, you know, PhDs. Um and so Yeah, yeah. exactly. I feel like cuz I mean, and again, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier like in Broken Bow Archer is little more than a pilot, but mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, we're going to choose yeah. this guy for diplomatic relations to alien species. Really? Seriously? Yeah, it's just <laughs> very like the right stuff. But then, but what if you were also president of the United States? No, 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 that's not how it works. <laughs> just because you're good at flying a ship into the air doesn't mean you're going to be good at outreach to like, you know, a series of hereto undiscovered alien cultures. My God, you need to send someone who's competent to do uh, negotiations and communications that do those things. And don't get all pissed off when you take your dog, an ill-advised move, taking your dog with you. And when he pees on a tree, which is what dogs do, when this race (sighs) happens to worship trees and they get upset about it, don't pitch a hissy fit. Because they're upset. Like, I know. what did you think was going to happen? This is very, it's American exceptionalism writ large and turned into human exceptionalism. And that's, oh, yeah. I think, one of the reasons why I just can't stomach Enterprise. Because I think <laughs> if you're watching it and you're not in that mindset of like, yeah, Americans going to space and we're going to colonize the galaxy. Yeah. And then you're, you're just like, what is this utter bull- <laughs> I mean, like, get... It's they're so arrogant. They're so arrogant. And I did like that in this episode, you see actually Archer playing second fiddle to Topol Moore. And actually, for once in his life, he's actually the emotional sounding board for her, mm-hmm. as opposed to him making stupid decisions the whole time and her having to constantly try and talk him out of it or be the emotional sounding board for him. Right, so I did right. actually quite enjoy their dynamic in this episode. Whereas generally speaking, I kind of can sense that they have that closeness, but I don't particularly enjoy watching their scenes together. But I actually did in this episode more than I normally do. Yeah, they uh, they definitely, yeah, the tables get turned a little bit. I feel like because, I mean, you know, this episode that we're watching here is, you know, uh, probably quarter of the way into season two. So she's already, you know, been on the ship for a year. And I feel like Archer's gotten a lot of, really stupid moves out of <laughs> hopefully <laughs> under his belt and out of the way but i feel like he he has grown and he has mm-hmm. learned but mm-hmm. it is it is nice to see him like and i mean let's not forget he had a big issue with trusting people mm-hmm. specifically vulcans so for mm-hmm. him to go into this and essentially have to let this is her mission she's got to mm-hmm. take the reins here i'll you know I'll, i've got your back i'll do whatever but like I really hope (laughs) I really hope we go back to the ship alive. (laughs) Yeah, I actually want to say that this is probably the first legit thing that I've seen Captain Archer ever do ever in like any episode of Enterprise I've ever watched, because this is the first time he's actually stood back, trusted someone else and let someone else who knows what they're doing take the wheel and been a support for them as opposed to just sort of standing around looking like he's got a little bit of a headache, like, oh, I need to make some captain decisions. Oh, oh. Paul, come and tell me off in my quarters like you're my mom, and then I'll sulk in a corner and do the opposite thing anyway. Uh. Oh, water polo's on. Here we go. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Although, to be fair, I did watch a little bit of the Tokyo water polo. Oh, did you? I, I get it. Oh. 
I'm so sorry about that. That's okay. Good boys are allowed to watch Star Trek too. <laughs> he is. He, and he, he loves Star Trek, honestly. Aww. And I know that, that's a weird thing to say, but like, okay. So uh, story about my dog. Um, when we first, he's a rescue. Um, oh, bless him. Yeah. He's, and he's super cute. There, I mean, follow my Instagram for almost nothing but cute pics of my dog. Excellent. Um, but I'm uh, it now. we got him and uh, he was about seven months old and he bounced around to a couple different places, not out of abuse, but like he would get in one place and they're like, our circumstances have changed. We just Aww. can't have him. So yeah, yeah he, he was, we heard his story of course, before he got here. And I was like, you know what? I want him to have a very distinct sound when he comes into our home mm-hmm. that he will identify with as being home and being safe. So, so what I did was I put um, Star Wars uh, episode four, New Hope, and as soon as he came in the house, the music started. Dun, da, da, da. So now, anytime he hears big, uh, uh, you know, the big symphony, big horns, a big orchestra, his ears perk up and he's locked on the TV, and it's just kind of like, oh, <laughs> this is this is comforting. I am home. Oh, that's <laughs> of, really cute. Yeah, and he. Uh, so when we, when we, when my wife and I have to leave the house for any reason, we usually put on, um, Star Trek, uh, next generation. Cause wow. it's got, it's got that kind yeah. of music throughout mm-hmm. in addition to, uh, you know, Picard's very calming, yes. assertive, yeah. like I'm your father and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of his thing. Really <laughs> But it's, you know, that's what we put on for him. So, and he kind of, he'll just kind of, he'll grab his little blanket and he'll just kind of oh settle goodness. into his, his little cage. And, and Oh, that makes me want to cry. That's so sweet. Oh, he's, he's a good, he is a good boy mostly. Anytime anybody asks what, what kind of dog he is, it's always, he is 87% good boy. Oh, that's a very good ratio. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, gosh, we diverted sharply what, what was i talking about before he started barking um archer and to Paul's relationship i think yeah uh you know and you know i made fun of him for watching water polo i actually did watch yes. a little bit of the water polo with the olympics and uh, <laughs> i get it now i feel like <laughs> i, I kind of i was like well because i was watching because i think they had some overhead shot it was mostly i think the really the only one i saw was uh, the uh, USA women versus uh, China women. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was like, look, they're constantly, they're constantly having to move to stay above. And she's yeah. like, why are they doing yeah. that? I was like, cause they can't touch the bottom. Like, and yeah. you're having to be accurate while yeah. fighting somebody off and swimming, oh, not yeah. drowning. Like, yeah. I was like, this is pretty intense. Like, yep. okay, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's no wonder he's kind of into this. This is <laughs> it's a really tough sport. Like it's really like physically, it's so demanding. I've done it like a couple of times in lifeguard training, and it's just absolutely knackering. Oh. Like you would have to just be like, right, time out. I'm putting my feet on the ground. Like, I'm so I yeah. can't take it anymore. Oh, yeah. I if I if I ever played a period of of that i'd have to sleep for the weekend like (laughs) to recover that's crazy but yeah Yeah. so getting back to it i feel like yeah this is this is kind of neat to see like archer's very trusting of his crew he's got a good crew like Mm -hmm. malcolm in addition to being the armor is like developing weapons while being the armor that's that's pretty impressive and like i said you know trip 
trips trip keeps that engine humming he really does and travis i've already <laughs> oh you know, boy he does yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> engine may or may not be a euphemism um <laughs> but uh you know travis hoshi hoshi is killing it it to keep in mind like she's not an astronaut like she's yeah she's a linguist she's a very period. lost language teacher yes yes it's like i was on a german exchange and now i'm in space now i'm in space yeah like yeah. but you know even she like rises to the occasion when it's mm. you know when it gets can you imagine just being in her position of like hey i know the ut's broken like stand here and translate on the fly because we're about to explode like no pressure yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's got a very competent crew and we've yeah. seen him rely on on them but it's rare that it's like hey i can't do this you have to take the reins and that is that is nice to see because i think i think american audiences for sure still see him as sam from quantum leap he's 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 just shy he's just shy of captain america like he's really yeah like he's kind of wow in terms of sci-fi i'll say you know it's wow okay right his like quantum leap was a big deal here in the states wow. back in the day okay and then so then when it comes to the episode detained which was season one episode 15 i believe um where he is reunited with his co-star except now his co-star uh dean stockwell yeah is, pl- is playing a villain right like the acting goes through the roof like their performance is solid yeah yeah um but here again that's where archer is out of his element and you know Travis is with him, and I feel like there's a there's a little bit of Travis looking to him, going, "So, Captain, what are we doing?" And him having to go, "I don't know. I hope yeah. to Paul and the crew <laughs> on the ship figure it out because we're stuck." Yeah. And uh, this was this was cool to see, and I hope we get a little bit more of this because I really do. You know, it's the old look. If you want to have good characters, put them through the ringer. Like, yeah. The more you love it, the more your character goes through yeah. the ringer, the more you tend to identify and hope that they come out on top. And that's that's kind of writing 101, I feel like. Absolutely. Have you, I mean, you've written your fair share. Do you, uh, do you feel that way? Have you done stuff like that? Has it been hard for you to do stuff like that with characters that you hold dear? <laughs> yeah, I it, it, it totally depends what you're doing. Because I think, like uh, I've sometimes written things where if I know that all the characters are just being invented to die, then it's like actually loads of fun to come up with them and then invent gruesome ways for them to be murdered. That's actually like <laughs> deeply entertaining. But if it's one where you're like, oh, shit, there's got to be stakes. So I guess one of these guys has got to go. Then you're like, no, my babies. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like that's kind of in terms of writing. I mean, you're writing narrative prose and. And I think we can both speak to this in terms of writing stand-up, where we come up with something that's we think is very, very clever. And it's like, oh, it's so funny to me. Mm-hmm. And this is gonna work. This is gonna kill. And you get on stage and it's crickets. It's nothing. <laughs> and no, that you're never like, happens but- to me, Todd. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we uh yeah, and it's and you think to yourself, okay, maybe it's just this room, it's just this audience. Like, yeah, let me try it again, and then you go yeah. for it again, same thing, and then it's mm-hmm. like, all right, third time's the charm. No, third strike. <laughs> all right. Sometimes you've got to put a nuke under your darling's. 
house and then light it up like Manhattan. You know, exactly. you've just got to kill them. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, look, I, I have a Star Trek joke too. Uh, it's, I, <laughs> I, do an, I do an impression of Benjamin Sisko ordering uh, fast food. Yeah, it's, go for it. it it's not I want to see it. All right. <clears throat> Hello, I would like to buy a hamburger <laughs> with no mayonnaise. I, I have a coupon. I will see you at the next window. <laughs> oh, the, that's, I love it. That's the short version. But every time I've done that, it is met with dead silence. Oh, nothing. no. It gets you just nothing. need an audience of Trekkies. Ex- well, you see, need to do that at a Star Trek convention and exactly. then you'll get a response. I do. Uh, see, when I start that bit, my first thing is like, do we have any Star Trek fans? And usually you'll get, you know, yeah. maybe about a third of the audience will give yeah. a little clap. Yeah. I say, okay, that's good. Let's take it a little deeper. Who's into Deep Space Nine? And you might yeah. get one guy like ironically like. Oh, no. It's like, yeah. okay, perfect. Here it is. <laughs> Uh, uh, but then I usually end that with like, look, guys, some sometimes the jokes aren't for you. Yeah, that one's for me. <laughs> <laughs> Just know that you've seen a spot on Benjamin Cisco impression. You can tell everyone how great it was and you won't be any the wiser. Oh, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's things that we write that it's I mean, as hard as I've been on the writing and some of the creative decisions of Enterprise thus far, I'm always quick to say, like, this is a daunting task. Like, because Next Gen was so popular and then it sort of overlapped and bled into like the first African-American captain and Mm -hmm. how amazing that show was, Mm -hmm. which then overlapped and bled into here's the Mm -hmm. first female captain. Mm -hmm. And that show was even better. Mm -hmm. When that ended, it was kind of like, okay, we've got a couple movies. Look, let's keep this thing rolling. Mm -hmm. You guys, you guys are greenlit. Go do another Star Trek ASAP. Let's get this thing rolling. And I don't feel that they looked at it critically enough to really, there was nobody to go, Hey, that's not a good idea. Uh, the song yeah. you got going. Can we, can we not so much? <laughs> you know, when we said, kill your darlings, Rick, we just, just the whole show, put it in the bin. Just the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. All four seasons out the window. Done. Yeah. Dusted. Set it on fire. Right. That's it. Start fresh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and I, I know that the fans for a long, long time were clamoring for a fifth season or a movie to wrap it all up, especially, yeah. especially the, you know, the romantic, uh, the romantic ties between Trip and T'Pol, spoiler for anybody who's just following along, but, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know, because at this point, you know, they're, for, first of all, shows, you know, 20 years old. Some things need to stay dead. Yeah. And something should never have been brought to life in the first place. And that includes Enterprise. <laughs> well, I, I think... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm joking. No, I'm no, no. Hey. <laughs> ragging into it. <laughs> but I think it is. I mean, it's I think it's, you know, people, you know, rib it and make fun of it. But it's, it does come from a place of love, I think. Yeah, because this this does mean a lot to a lot of people. I mm-hmm. mean. I, I have very similar feelings about the show. I don't know if you guys get it over there. Uh, that 70s show uh, sitcom here. And yes, um, I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. That, that show was very special to me because yeah. I was watching that when my mom passed away and like Aww, yeah. Kitty, Kitty on the show uh, played by Deborah Jo Rupp, who's an amazing actor herself. Yeah. Uh, 
she's on my bucket list of people I want to meet. Yeah. Um, she's a fantastic actress, but like she, her, the character of Kitty was so much like my mom. Oh, that, lovely. that was, that was something that I hold very dear to me because yeah. it, it helped me through a lot of depression. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. kind of see a version of my mom there on the screen. Like it was, We've it was all- really nice. Yeah, we've all had that show that meant so much to us and only like five other people. I'm not saying this about that 70s show. Like, obviously, that was a massive hit. But, you know, I remember there was this, everyone's got that show, that show that only ran for one season where you were like, yes, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then the ratings were like, (laughs) oh, sure. You know, and the network was like, and then it got cancelled. And you're like, no. (laughs) It happens. It happens. Every, you know, it's sad. It does. It It, it either just, doesn't connect with the executives or the sponsors yep. don't get it or the affiliates or the, like, yeah, nah. the episodes in the wrong order oh, yeah. and then oh, just yeah. destroy out of spite. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, do you, do you have anything? I mean, it can, it doesn't have to be Star Trek, but do you have anything that's like either formative or helped you through, you know, a show or a movie that was like your, your big warm blanket that you, you know, kind of indulge in when, when things were down? <laughs> Um, I just read voraciously when I was a child. So the books that I would always come back to and over and over again were the Chronicles of Narnia. I know it's a very basic bitch thing to say, but like most of the things that I read was it was a lot of like stereotypical, like mid early 20th century children, British children's literature like that. So, yeah, that is something where I know if I want that kind of that sense of innocence and whimsy and comfort, I just head back to that particular sort of genre of children's fantasy that is just so comforting and yeah yeah i've got probably uh of course i'm i'm the youngest of three so my parents yeah my parents were very much brother i was the like well see the youngest of three but my next oldest brother was 13 years older than me so our our parents had us like generations apart so i i you know my parents had me when they were they had just turned 40 so they were kind of done. <laughs> they were kind of done with the whole raising kids thing. So it's like, were you planned, Todd? No, I, let's. I'm gonna go ahead and just say it right here. I was definitely the make the makeup sex baby. <laughs> mom, mom, all mom had to say was, "That's it. I've had enough." And then nine months later, Todd's here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, because I sat in front of the television you know as a as a child a lot it was a lot of it was a lot of like looney tunes from the 40s and some of that yeah some of that like late 80s early 90s animation but then because as as a young kid wanting to hang out with my older brother by the time i was old enough to be like i want to hang out with chris yeah he was in the demographic for Saturday Night Live, Johnny Carson, mm-hmm. David Letterman, mm-hmm. uh, the kids in the hall. And, you know, a lot of those things that, you know, late teens, early 20s, late night stand up comedy. So I was getting that with the cartoons. Nice. And so a lot of those things I do hold dear. Like, I I can't tell, you know, especially getting into stand up, we, we have those dreams of like, I'm going to have a Netflix special, an HBO special. I'm going to have, you know. All I'm this, going to kill Anna generous and wear her skin. And then I'm <laughs> going to take over her show. Rem- remind me after we wrap the show to tell you my Ellen DeGeneres joke. Okay. Um, but yeah, like I, I think because I was quote unquote raised in front of the television, like there are a couple of those things that 
when things are down or when it's just like, I'm having, it's like, you know what? I just need a good cry to just get myself through yeah, this. Yeah. There's a couple of those things and it does, you know, you go to, you go to, uh, to Chronicles of Narnia. I go to some of those early Disney movies that I was watching as a kid. Oh yeah. I mean, Disney movies. Yeah. I mean, yeah. absolutely. They're, like for me, it's, um, so what was like the Disney movies you were watching when you were. The two that I always come back to are, uh, the love bug. Okay. I've never seen it. Right. Oh, it's fantastic. It's Herbie, you know, the, the little Volkswagen beetle the car. Yeah. Yes. The, that first one, like as a kid, you're like, oh, it's a car and it's alive. Like watching it as an adult, like you're seeing things in the development of these characters and it took on a new life for me as mm -hmm. an adult. Yeah. Yeah. The other movie is 1976, seven, eight, somewhere around in there. The animated Robin Hood. Like, oh, so wonderful. Yes. Yeah. And Glorious. because if you're, it sounds like you are familiar with it, uh, the, t the two, sister rabbits and yeah. the and their brother rabbit yes those, those those three rabbit children are my two nieces and nephew to oh, a t that's so sweet yeah skippy and, and the other ones yeah and they're, oh, they're so cute right and their mom is very much like my mom and <laughs> like, after she passed away it was just kind of like a chunk of my mom ended up being Oh. It enshrined in this movie i think oh, because it was so like lovely yeah and it's just not that i not that i saw myself as robin hood but it was kind of nice to see a, a piece of my family somehow yeah. you know immortalized in yeah. ink and paint and celluloid like yeah this was kind of you know, cool yeah i thought of the film that fills that niche for me and it's yes. because we had about five films on VHS so they're the only ones that I repeatedly watch we had Aristocats oh, okay. and we, we had Snow White the the old one and we had Fly Away Home the film with like young young Anna Paquin her mother dies and she has to move out to like Canada or someplace in the middle of nowhere and then she finds a load of goslings and she like raises the goslings yes. and then she has to like fly with the goslings in a microlite and they like fly through the center of Baltimore and teaches all the goslings how to fly and like I can't watch that film without howling just like crying <laughs> like ah, the baby so gays and going home <laughs> yes yes oh I was drawing a blank there for a second but I was like oh wait no yes I remember that absolutely that's yeah that's oh that's a I and it the Disney formula, the music swells yes, and absolutely. so do and so do your eyes and you're just <laughs> I just feel like is it just me? And I don't feel I don't think this is just me becoming old and crusty and being like things weren't like it was in my day. These Gen Z don't understand the millennial experience. Um, but I don't feel like they make that kind of 90s American family movie anymore the way that they did back in the 90s and early noughties. Because I feel like all the ones I watch now, there's so much money in it and there's so yeah. much CGI and yeah. there's so much focus on like, oh, but there's going to be explosions and there's going to be action sequences. I just don't feel like you have that same sort of genre of films that that they just used to constantly churn out back in the day yeah you know things things like um oh god you know like honey honey i shrunk the kids or like yes um you know the one where the cat and the dog have to run across america to get back to their family again and homeward bound homeward yes. bound and i don't know I, maybe it is just me like being out of the loop of kids films but i feel like they've really changed I feel, uh, you know, I, I can totally understand that point. Um, I think whereas 
Disney as a studio has definitely gotten away from that. Yeah. I think the best thing they ever did was buy Pixar. Cause like yeah. Pixar, Pixar has been killing it since the word go. Yeah. And I think, whereas Pixar, Pixar sort of picked up what Disney was doing, mm-hmm. but in a more narrow sense of very, it tugs at the heartstrings for very specific reasons. Whereas, you know, Disney was doing Snow White, Robin Hood, those yeah. big, yeah. you know, things you with Pixar, you get uh, Toy Story. So it's very much like, this is the thought that a lot of kids and frankly, a lot of adults have of like, wonder if they get up and yeah move around and talk like when I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and You're you know, right. yeah. Yeah. And stuff like, uh, and stuff like up where, yeah, it's a little bit geared for a little bit older audience. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of getting introduced of like, oh, this is what, this is what tragedy does to someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we see them introduced to a ray of hope, a ray of light. And then we see them come back from that. And then with stuff like inside out, inside out is a brilliant movie. And yeah. then to see all of that, all of those emotions working um, from, from within a young girl, as opposed to like a little boy, it's great to have that perspective with this perspective. And it, and it rings true on so many levels. And I'm still one of those, don't get me wrong. I am one of those, one of those dudes who like, if Mary Poppins is on, yeah, I'm watching. Like, that's the other one that's the other one that i must have watched about a thousand times mary oh, yeah. poppins and the old oliver film yeah those oh, yes. yeah constantly yeah. on yeah i know what you're saying that we we do get those films but i feel like it's animation where that genre really stands out now and that's where you kind of turn to to get that same kind of extremely emotionally fulfilling and cathartic childhood but also family-friendly movie experience I feel like you don't get the same genre of film but with live action set in like a a family home in the same way that you did used to yeah I think because and I mean I can only speak to uh you know the things that I've studied in that when I uh I took a graphic literature course uh at school here yeah at school here and um we were talking about the idea of iconic Im- imagery and yeah. the more something is iconic, the easier it is to paste yourself onto that so right. that you identify more, which is why Robin Hood as portrayed by animals is so widely accepted and fondly remembered. You know, yeah. Her- Herbie for me, it's not the human characters. I'm yeah. with the car. It's yeah. the car, which doesn't have a face. It kind of has some Oh, he's kind of got his cute little face. Yeah, he's, he got has... the, he's got the headlights and he's got yeah. the little handle for a nose and stuff like yeah. that. But because it's so iconic, because it's not human, yeah. you're able to identify more with that. And then mm-hmm. to look at Pixar, Cars, mm-hmm. Toy Story, mm-hmm. raw emotions from, uh, inside, from inside out. Mm-hmm. These things aren't human, but we are mm-hmm. so able to identify. Yeah, absolutely. On a primal level with these things yeah. that it it hooks us in. And I think, I think Disney has a, you know, welcome to, welcome to the, we love Disney podcast where we <laughs> just spout our love for this, for this gigantic corporation and uh, the influence it had on us as a child. Um, but no, I think, Part of what they do really well is know their audience and tailor their stories for that audience. And as that audience has grown, 
keep expanding that product so that, you know, when it came time to, you know, somebody in a boardroom was going, Hey, we've got a lot of Disney princess stuff. Um, uh, should we go ahead and buy Marvel? <laughs> and they so did. When it becomes time for the final Disney takeover, when yes. your souls are all owned by Disney <laughs> and everything you watch on television is owned by Disney, and then you go on your phone, but your only search engine is Disney, and then you try <laughs> to listen to the music, and you can only listen to Disney music. <laughs> what do you think of my Disney shoes? Uh, then those, you shall cower before my Disney the, of the big mouse. <laughs> Every house in this planet will be a house of mouse. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, here again, we've gotten really far away from uh, from Enterprise. <laughs> but uh, you know, how do you feel about the character de- the character development of T'Pol in that we get to see her like really struggle with the idea of do I need to take this dude out? It all kind of falls down on me, like. This is by this is definitely a T'Pol centric episode, uh, as was noted by a couple of different uh, outlets that I saw in my research. But um, how do you feel about how her character has progressed here? I really enjoyed it. And I actually was (laughs) I was very let down, but only I was, shall I say, disappointed, but not surprised in the way that the the episode played out where they set up this moral quandary where T'Pol is really like she is almost looks like she's on the verge of like Ponfar again because of the how <laughs> like how stressed she is like her lower yeah. lip is is like trying to escape from her yeah. face um and <laughs> she's got this moral quandary in front of her which i think is very similar to the kind of moral quandary that gets brought up in star trek all the time mm. where she's confronted by a man who does seem to be fundamentally good and is saying that he's innocent and he's pointing out that like look you're probably being given false information here you know, are you just going to follow the mission brief, follow the mission brief, or are you going to actually make the call to let this guy walk free? And I feel if it had been any other series of Star Trek, I've, I, I, with the exception of potentially DS9, because I think in DS9, they do deliberately kind of blindside you with these sort of more morally uncomfortable situations as a deliberate tactic to leave you feeling discomforted. Mm. Um, with the exception of that, I think every other Star Trek series would have ended with that episode of T'Pol and him sitting down and and her letting him go and her and then them finding out that that was and then her either just making that decision and leaving it and having that being made off the bat yeah. and everything in the episode playing out to suggest that actually you know that potentially she was being led to do something that was wrong there, mm-hmm. but instead because it's Enterprise they want to have their cake and eat it so yeah. On Archer standing into Paul's ear, basically saying, "You were sent to apprehend him, not to judge him." I'm, oh, sorry, what, what does that even mean? Like that's just gonna like follow orders because they're orders. Right. I just follow my orders because I'm order. You're gonna follow your orders to Paul. I'm like, what kind of what kind of message is that? Yeah. And then so she follows her orders. She shoots this guy in the back as he's walking away, and then. It's like, ah, well, you know, we've solved the moral dilemma because turns out he was selling biotoxins all along. Yeah. (laughs) I just thought, oh, come on. That's so enterprise, isn't it? (laughs) Right. Right. It's when I when I left um, when I left my first law enforcement job to go to uh, policing on the road, uh, I had a lieutenant pull me aside Mm -hmm. and say, listen, they're not going to tell you this in the academy. You might not have any supervisors that'll tell you this. So I'm going to tell you now biggest power that you will have Mm -hmm. as 
a law enforcement officer mm-hmm. is the is the power to not arrest. Mm-hmm. And I've never forgotten that. Yeah. And hearing things in the news and here more recently, you know, it, I guess this is where I'm getting older because my training, which wasn't that long ago, <laughs> was like 1960s, hey. 1950s. <laughs> Oh gosh, how old do you think I am? <laughs> I know I've got some grace in this beard, but geez. <laughs> but you know, my training was very much like, hey, stop, think, use your head. <laughs> yeah. Make the call, but do your best to stay off TV for God's sake. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it just seems like all of these, you know, these more simple notions of like, making the right call because of what mm-hmm. you've seen and observed, you know, I will yeah. say this to, to Paul's credit, she shot him in the back. Yeah. Dick move. <laughs> but her phaser was set to stun. <laughs> <laughs> and then she got him dragged back to a Vulcan prison where he rotted away. And then right. his family never saw, his children never saw their daddy again. So it's, it's all fine. Exactly. Or oh. was, or was that all part of the ruse? Uh, that true. That is true. But, but but that wasn't addressed intelligently in this episode. And yeah. I feel like if it had been a DS9 episode, those are exactly the kind of questions that they would have brought up and the kind of things they would have left you wondering with. And they might not have given you an answer, but they would have raised the question to make you think. And yeah. here it just played out in this very, very linear A to B to C to D to E way. But then it was like, and the moral message of this is you should all just follow your orders like a good cop and you should shoot people in the back and arrest right. them and you should take them back to our boring military ship and then we're going to go warp four very slowly around the galaxy looking grumpy. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's, yeah, and and you win. <laughs> you win. <laughs> uh, point church house, absolutely. So uh, as we've been doing here uh, on every episode, uh, who do we blame? Who do we blame for all this? Well, this episode was written by, once again, Berman and Braga. The last episode they wrote was the last episode we talked about with uh, Jake Donaldson. It was season two, episode six, Marauders. And it was directed by David Livingston. Uh, His last episode that he directed was season one, episode 21, Detained, where I mentioned earlier, um, uh, Scott Bakula is reunited with his uh, Quantum Leap co-star, Dean Stockwell. And then we've got a couple of uh, guest stars here. Uh, first off, we've got Richard Wharton as Josen. Um, there's not a lot to get into with him here other than he's one of these actors that slips under the radar. He's a character actor. He's got a very extensive resume, but he is kind of, he's a day player. He shows up to be the guy in the background who, if he wasn't there, the scene just wouldn't hit as well. Uh, A couple of film credits here, Dragonstorm from 2004, which I'm not very familiar with, but he was in uh, Thor The Dark World as one of the asylum inmates where um, uh, Eric Selvin, I believe is his name, is there figuring out uh, the quantum physics of how to get from our reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like I said, he is a, he's a regular TV day player, tons of one episode appearances and things like charmed Buffy, the vampire slayer carnival deadwood six feet under. Um, but then, uh, so that's, so that's Mr. Uh, Wharton. Thank you for your work on that. Uh, Mr. Wharton, you, you know, did a great job there as just then, but, uh, then we've got Mr. Bruce Davison as Minos, um, the primary, uh, uh, antagonist of this episode, the guy that T'Pol is there to capture. 
And a lot of, uh, he's got a very extensive resume with his first film credit being Last Summer, which came out in 1969 and actually had a rating of X. Now this, I went and looked this up a little bit and uh, on the other podcast that I'm on, Cinema Shock, we actually discussed how the ratings have progressed over the years and things that were rated X back then might not get an R rating today and mm-hmm. they probably hover around PG-13. But, you know, as I read into it a little bit more, I mean, you've got some underage kids smoking pot, some under, uh, you know, drinking, um, drinking quite a bit. And then you've mm-hmm. got uh, some sexual activity there, which is definitely where that more mature rating comes into play. Yeah. Uh, but later in his career, 1971 is where he played Willard Styles in the movie Willard about the weird guy who's got a pet rat. Uh, And he ends up training a lot of rats. And he was also in the sequel, Ben, in 1972. And he even made an appearance in the 2003 reboot with a high-kicking extraordinaire. um, Oh, now I forgot his name from Back to the Future. Uh, Great stop. (laughs) Yeah, he he plays uh, George McFly. Oh, what is his name? Uh, It's not important. Anyway. Michael uh, J. Fox. No, the dad of Mike. Sorry. The dad, yeah. I don't remember. Uh, um, however, I would say that you definitely will like Suicide Squad then because he's also in that. Oh, that's right. I forgot he's in that. Yeah, he's a mm. uh, polka dot. Is he polka dot? No, no, sorry. I mean that this guy Willard that you're talking about. Oh, Bruce Davidson. Rats. Yay. Oh, oh Willard. Willard oh, is in okay. the Suicide Willard. Squad. <laughs> okay. All right. You may have just sold another ticket right there. <laughs> um, but anyways, if all of that is still unfamiliar, uh, his most popular role his most successful his uh highest profile role uh to me i think is uh as senator robert kelly from x-men in 2000 and then again in 2003 in x-men united uh did you see those did you see the x-men movies those early x-men movies i adore the, i i like lap up anything x-men yet those are really like a great. baby goat at a bottle of milk <laughs> Yeah, after X-Men United, there was a bit of a dark period in terms of uh, the X-Men movies, but those first two were really, really fantastic. And he was really solid as the senator. I I love his commitment to that position as Robert Kelly of like, I mean, he's definitely a politician, but you see like, this is, this is why he's here. He's, you know, for the American people, blah, blah, blah. And um, yeah, it's really nice to watch his character make that turn. Uh, throughout that first film and then to see well he doesn't really play Robert Kelly in the second spoilers for X-Men for the X-Men movies which are 20 years old but uh yeah when he's uh when he's Mystique in the second one and it's it's fun to see how that character has progressed but um yeah here this is uh his most recent appearance in the franchise he hasn't been in anything uh more recent but his first appearance was actually an episode of Voyager, season three, episode six, uh, Remember, which came out in 1996. Mm. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we've got some we've got some good. It's it's a tight. This is this is a tight episode. We don't have a lot of background details going on. It, it is mostly a character driven episode, which I think in terms of Enterprise ends up being the better episodes is the stuff that really dives into the characters. And I think we've discussed that at length here. So uh, Maddie, you have any, uh, have any final thoughts? 
about this episode of Enterprise? Uh, well, yeah, in terms of who we need to blame, the answer is just always Rick Berman across the board. There doesn't actually need to be any discussion to come to that conclusion. But right. I feel that since that's a given, if we wanted to be more specific in where we pinpoint the blame, I would, sorry, Trip, much as I love you, I'm going to blame you this for this episode because, first of all, his hair was awful. I don't know who did his hair, but there was too much gel that little side parting, not a look. We don't like it. It's very unsexy. And normally when I'm like trips on screen, I'm like, great. You know what? My brain's disengaged, but I've got something nice to look at. This episode, I didn't even have that because he just had the stupid hair on the whole time. Yeah. And what was he doing in that little scene when he's pretending to be Captain Archer to that confused Vulcan? And then the only thing he has to deliver is baseball the, scores. The or score- something. <laughs> I mean, for crying out loud yeah Uh, you'll notice that that scene was left out of my recap (laughs) (laughs) yeah i thought right this is going to go somewhere and that stupid like basketball score or whatever it was is going to turn out to be code for tripol and i are trapped in a burning building quick (laughs) beam down and you know all guns blazing no no that's it that's the end of the little b plot yeah it would have been nice if that if Archer and T'Pol had just, well, first of all, if they had gotten a little more time to discuss the questions mm-hmm. that inevitably arise when you see this story, but it would have been kind of cool to, for the T'Pol and Archer to get back on Enterprise and see Trip, you know, nice and sharp with a fourth pip on his, on his chest going, uh, what happened while we were gone and have Trip just slowly reach up and take it off and go, nothing. And by the way, <laughs> your favorite team won. I got to go back yeah. to engineering. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been brilliant. Well, next week will be the end of the Red Shirts folks coming on this show for our Red Shirts computer resume crossover. I'm I've had. You might as well end the podcast now, Todd. You've done it. You've (laughs) peaked. We're the best guests you'll ever have. Don't kid yourselves. So I feel I feel I feel my time is drawing rapidly near. But next week, we will be joined by the last of the Red Shirts, folks. We will be joined by Mr. Nathan Thomas for Enterprise Season 2, Episode 8, The Communicator. And that episode, of course, is available on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and of course on Paramount+. Plus. Maddie, what do you have going on that people can come find you and throw money at you? That's a really good, interesting question, Todd, because right (laughs) now I feel like I actually have a lot of like lying wrapped in my duvet eating chocolate going on as opposed to sort of actively <laughs> participating creating things going right, on right um but um yeah i'm hoping to get back into stand-up comedy now that things are kind of we're pretending at least in britain we've got collectively amnesia we've decided that covid doesn't exist anymore so everything's gone back to normal until inevitably we get hit by the delta variant and all our grands die yep. so yep once I get back into stand-up comedy, it will be lovely to see any potential British listeners in the Northeast there. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, and otherwise, you can follow me on social media to kind of see what I'm generally up to. Check out at RedShirtsCast on Twitter, Instagram, and red, at RedShirtsCast at gmail.com if you want to send us any fan mail, if you want to send us hate mail, send it to blah, blah, blah at gmail.com and then just forward it to yourself um we'd love you to give us a listen and review and give us a rating if you're up for a very irreverent and very british take on star trek then we're the place for you uh but please be warned the number of klingon dick jokes is 
borderline psychopathic at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean at least three an episode. So if that sounds like you, then (laughs) check out Red Shirts Cast wherever you get your podcasts. Wonderful. And where can people reach out to you specifically and bother you on the internet? You are more than welcome to bother me either on the Red Shirts Cast Instagram, which I run, or on Ask the Wuzzy on Instagram, which is where I post about my actual real life. Um, and if you are on Tumblr and on other dark and distant part of the internet, then I'm also the Wuzzy there as well. Wonderful. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in 10 forward. Bye. subspace transmissions to computer resume podcast at gmail.com or at computer resume on facebook twitter and instagram the computer resume podcast was created and produced by mr todd a davis our logo was designed by will martin and justin bishop the opening theme was produced by justin bishop our outro music was provided with permission by drone node additional music was provided by mr todd a davis and gary horn and i'm cat davis at that dot darn dot cat with a k on Instagram, the Computer Resume Podcast is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a Slice of Fried Gold?